Happy Mother's Day everyone. Good morning. I'm so excited about our message today. Why don't we open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come around your word, that we can come uh, before you with hearts wide open to know what you're saying to us today. Fill my mouth, Lord, with your words. Open our hearts to hear and understand what you're saying to us. Bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about the legacy of two women today and uh, being Mother's Day. But hey, men, don't tune out because this is relevant for all of us. And I believe there's an amazing message that God has for us. Whether you're male, female, young or old, God has something in store for us today. All right. So what two women am I talking about? We are talking today about... Uh, Ruth and Naomi and we're going to be having a, a look at this together. Two different women uh, brought together by love and sorrow on a collision path with destiny and their own redemption. We're going to have a look at how Naomi had this journey of drifting away from God and being restored and that's a key word that restoration and Ruth of course the journey of meeting God and being redeemed. Um, redeemed is also something that we're really going to look into today and I know it's going to be amazing. Okay, I uh, want to introduce the players. So the book of Ruth I find really fascinating. Uh, it's it stuck right there in the Old Testament, just four little chapters. Um, the story of otherwise a very kind of ordinary family I guess, uh, nothing extraordinary at first grabs your attention except for maybe what the family went through. Uh, but why is this little book in the Bible? And I've got up here who the characters are that we find, the main characters in this story. And th this is a really remarkable story. But before we get into this, I want to say something. Do you know, I believe that God loves weddings. I believe weddings are, and marriage are supposed to show us the heart of God and the heart of the relationship that God wants to build with us. You know, I was thinking about this. Genesis starts out with creation and the very first scene is a wedding. Is Adam getting his bride? Can you imagine that? We, we joke about, you know, marrying the perfect man or the perfect woman. But Adam literally had the perfect bride. I mean, she had no faulty DNA from any parents. She was absolutely perfect in every way. Handmade by God to compliment Adam. That's pretty impressive, partner. And we see the opening of Genesis with a wedding. God weaves a wedding theme throughout many books of the Bible because I believe there's something very significant here. He is bringing us to the last few chapters of the Bible in Revelation, which also describes a wedding, an incredible wedding, a wedding that has been building for all of time, a wedding of the bride and the lamb. It's so exciting. And this story, this book made it in the Bible, I believe, because it's also uh, accumulating in a wedding. And there's something really special in this book. We're going to start by looking at the names. The names in this book are really 
significant and they actually help tell the story. Check this out, all right? Elimelech, he is the father uh, of this family, this Jewish family from Bethlehem that we will have a look at that makes up the book of Ruth. Elimelech means my God is king. And ah, uh, oh, couldn't we just preach a whole message on that? Isn't that just the truth of it? My God is king. And that is what Elimelech's name means. Then we have Naomi, which means pleasantness. Uh, beautiful name, isn't it? What a bride to have, a pleasant, beautiful woman. Uh, Elimelech was blessed. But then they have children, and look at the names of their children. They're two sons, Marlon, which means sickness, and Chilion, which means wasting. Now, there's a part of me that goes, why? Why, when you know your God is king and you have a beautiful, pleasant wife, why would you name your children such names as sickness and wasting? But because as we go through this story, we will see that these names actually tell the journey of this family. Then we have Ruth. Um, her name means friend, compassion. Um, compassion to those who are having a bitter trial or a tough time in life. That is what her name means, amazing name. Then we have Boaz, in strength, strength is within him. So these names are really cool and they really have just sort of given us a preview of the book of Ruth and how it's going to unfold. But let's dive in deeper. Uh, why don't we actually have a look at the scripture? So we're going to open to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Great place to start. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to dwell in the country of Moab. Moab, sorry. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the name, names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judea. And they went out to the country of Moab and remained there. Okay, firstly, I want to point out something here. Um, and whenever the Bible gives us extra details, it's always for a reason. We had here a man, a Jewish man, a man who was in covenant with God, a man whose very name meant my God is king. But there's a famine in the land and instead of turning to the Lord, seeking him and saying, Lord, forgive us where we've sinned, um, they were in a covenant with God that said that they would have rain in their land in its season if they would serve the Lord. That was one of the blessings that was listed in that covenant. So because there's a famine, that tells me that there was also people in the land who had turned away from God, who were no longer pursuing him, who were no longer interested in that loving relationship with him. And so the famine is designed to wake them up, to get their attention and their love back to its true center in God. So here we see um, God is trying to get this family's attention, but instead of turning their attention to God, he decides to fix the problem on his own and he goes to a land called Moab. Moab is known for its idolatry. Moab was known for all manner of sinful lifestyles. 
And this is the place that he goes to find bread for his family. This is not what God has for him. Um, he's gone to this foreign country. His name, hi, my name is Elimelech. My God is king. And yet it didn't appear like that to those around him. Uh, he became uh, ill, it tells us, and Elimelech died there in Moab. Not only that, um, this family seems to go from bad to worse. Um, and just as their names seem to have predicted, Marlon and Chilion become sick, waste away, and die also. So here, trying to fix their own problems, trying to become um, their own solution to, to the needs around them, they have actually become so much worse than what God had ever intended for them. And this is the place that we really find the start of this story. Okay. So I'm going to pick up now in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 7. So it says, Therefore, talking about Naomi, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So after she'd lost her husband and then her two sons, it says that they remained there about 10 years. She had had enough. Naomi had had enough. It was time to return home. She'd also heard that there was bread in Israel. And you know, that is so true. There's always bread. There's always bread in our father's house. We just have to return. And this is the key here. Naomi had to return. And she did. And it's in the returning that God had a special restoration for her. Okay, so precious moment uh, we're about to have a look at in Ruth, one that's actually quite famous. These words that we're about to look at have been used in many weddings, um, but this is the setting that they're in. So, sorry, um, I'll get to the next one for you. Ruth 1, 16 to 17, I mean now, but Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. This is an emotional response here um, from Ruth, when Naomi is suggesting to her and Ophir, go back, go back to your families, go back to the gods that you serve. I no longer have sons for you. I can't produce anymore. Go back. You don't have to stay in my family. You don't have to stay with me. But Ruth has these famous words where she clings to her mother-in-law and she says, I will not leave you. Your God will be my God. I am choosing to take the path of your family. Uh, and embrace your heritage and embrace your culture. I am going with you no matter what. And that shows us the heart of Ruth and the amazing legacy that God builds through her life. Uh, and this is just the beginning for her. All right. So uh, now we're in verse 19. And it says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this 
Naomi. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This makes me think of another young woman that came to Bethlehem uh, for a different reason. But I love this story because it reminds me of Mary bringing Jesus in her womb into Bethlehem and bringing him forth there at Bethlehem in that uh, manger, the animal store, and the Redeemer being born in Bethlehem. And this story is all about redemption, set in the same location. How exciting is that? How awesome is that? I love the scriptures. All right, so Ruth, the story unfolds that Ruth um, ask her mother-in-law if she can go out and glean in the fields to try and get them some sustenance, some food. She gets permission. She goes and begins to glean. The Bible uses these words, and she happened upon the field where Boaz uh, worked, where he owned the field. She happened upon Boaz's field. I, I love that. God must be smiling. Really, this whole book of Ruth is about the divine sovereign will of God and how he has been able to position these people so that he could restore and redeem them. And here he, I can just imagine him smiling because he knows what's coming. Uh, Ruth is innocent, has no idea. She's just gone to try and help bring some kind of food into the home uh, to help her mother-in-law. She's gleaning in the field and she happens upon Boaz's field. Now, why is that amazing? Uh, it's amazing because Boaz was a close relative. So when Ruth comes home and, and tells um, her mother-in-law where she's been working, she starts to immediately see the hand of God, that God actually hasn't abandoned her. God hasn't left her to her own devices. God is looking out for her and he does have a plan to restore her. Uh, I'm actually going to read this verse to you, Ruth 2, 3. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Okay, remember what Boaz meant. Boaz means strength within himself. And he's of the family of Elimelech, which means my God is king. I love this. Boaz has strength within himself. There was another who would come, uh, who would have strength within himself to be able to redeem all of mankind, and that is Jesus Christ. And we see him here, hidden in this story, a promise of what was to come, not just redemption and restoration for one family, but redemption and restoration that would one day come to the entire world, that whoever would put their trust under the shadow of the Almighty's wings could be saved through his redemption plan. Okay, now the love story begins to unfold. Um, you know, this family didn't necessarily have any more remarkable story than anybody else. I'm sure there were other widows in the land at the time. And over the years, of course, there have been many widows 
all around the world who are, are left uh, with very little. So why this family? Why is this family getting a whole book in the Bible to tell their story? Because I believe it's also our story. God is using them as an example of what he was going to one day do for us. The kind of love and kindness he wanted to lavish on us. Remember, Naomi came back into the land feeling like Amara, feeling bitter against God and against life. But it doesn't matter, mums particularly, let me put this out there for you. If you've had heartache, if you've had heartbreak, if you've had times where you just feel like life has made you bitter uh, instead of better, maybe you're just feeling like, why? Why me? Why did I have all this calamity? What did I do to deserve this? You might be feeling like God has forgotten you, but may I encourage you today through the story of Naomi that God wants to restore you. He has not forgotten you. He wants to restore you. And he has a beautiful plan for your life, uh, one far better and greater than you could ever make for yourself. And also, if you're out there and you're like Ruth, maybe you're just trying to discover what is God, who is God, what is he about? He has a wonderful plan to meet you and to redeem you. And this is going to unfold as we look at this story further. So Ruth is gleaning in the field and Boaz comes by at that moment, again happens to come by and talk to his young man. And as he's talking to them, he sees um, Ruth gleaning in his field. And so he begins to ask the other men about her and say, you know, who, who is she? Where has she come from? What's her story? They tell him Ruth's story. Hey, she's an amazing woman. She's a Moabite. She's not one of us. But I tell you what, she's so loyal and faithful to her mother-in-law. She has not left her. She's providing for her. She treats her so well. Boaz is impressed with this young Moabite woman. And he goes up and he talks to her. And, uh, and he tells her, look, stay near my young men. I've commanded them not to hurt you or assault you or anything. Take the water that my young men draw. Come and sit with me at lunchtime. He gives her such favor. He even tells his young reapers, leave a bit of extra uh, for her to glean. So he's really looking after her. And um, she comes home that day. She's made a whole ephah of flour. It, it's amazing, you know, for one day's um, gleanings, uh, what she has come home with. And let's have a look at this in Ruth chapter 2, 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, sorry, blessed be he of the Lord who has not ceased his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, the man is a near relative of ours, one who has the right to redeem us. She was so excited. Naomi's so excited here to say to Ruth, oh my goodness, of all the fields that you could have went to, it would happen to be this Boaz. And he would happen to be one of the few people who has the right to redeem us. Um, how amazing is this? She was so excited. She told Ruth, don't go to any other field. Stay in, in Boaz's field. Follow his reapers for the rest of the season. Which Ruth did. She was very obedient. I noticed this about her legacy. She was very submissive and very obedient to her mother-in-law. Um, very willing to embrace her way of life. And I know as I've been reading this story that I'm really learning a lot from her life and her heart 
that is portrayed here. It's pretty awesome. All right. Now we'll fast forward the story a little bit because I want to get to the wedding. I'm an incurable romantic, so I love this bit. Naomi starts to hatch a plan. She thinks, I need to look after Ruth. Um, she's still young, got a whole life ahead of her. I need to see her married off to a good young man and who better than Boaz, although Boaz wasn't such a young man. But he was a good, kind man and could give her a good inheritance. So she tells Ruth to go the night uh, that he'd been threshing out the barley. Um, once he's eaten and drunk and lays down to sleep, sneak in, uncover his feet and lay at his feet and he will tell you what to do. So here's this girl, can you just imagine it, creeping through the night, hoping no one sees her. It must be such a scandalous thought to be doing this. She's probably hoping she doesn't get caught. She uncovers Boaz's feet and she lays there and she waits. Now what? <laughs> Finally, it says at midnight, Boaz rolls over and is startled and sees a young woman at his feet. And he's like, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth. And Tam asked him, will you spread your covering over me? Will you redeem me? And his response is, let's wait till the morning and I will go and sort this out. There's one other relative who could redeem you, but if he won't, I most certainly will. And so he does. Uh, and this is some beautiful words that he gives to her. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are an honorable woman. Another translation puts it as a virtuous woman. Everybody knows you're a virtuous woman. I'm going to do what's right. And uh, he does. He manages to redeem her. That means that he was able to buy all that used to belong to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Um, he was able to restore what was once theirs, what had been lost. And he was able to redeem Ruth. She was able to become his bride through this transaction. And I've got a picture here of a Jewish wedding. At many Jewish weddings, the ceremony is conducted under this cloth. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, put up like a canopy. Other times people are holding it. But this beautiful ceremony uh, unfolds and Boaz marries and redeems Ruth and restores all of Naomi's inheritance. Wow, he had, Boaz had strength within himself. He was the one who was able to redeem them and he did redeem them. He was willing. You know, that's the same as Jesus. He's not only able to redeem us, he's willing and he was willing to do whatever it took to make it right for us, to restore us to our Heavenly Father. That is the wonderful God that we serve. Okay, so we're going to move on. Uh, I want to just unpack a little bit more of a Jewish wedding for you in a minute here. But let's have a look at one other scripture. And that's Ruth 4.17. So uh, I've just jumped ahead in the story a little bit. Uh, Ruth and Boaz get married and then she falls pregnant and has a son. And uh, this is where we'll pick up now in verse 17. And her neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son is born to Naomi. They named him Obed. 
He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, the ancestor of Jesus Christ. That is the one bit I believe that gives us the purpose for this entire book of Ruth being in the Bible. What are they trying to tell us? What look like just two ordinary women, you know, Ruth and Naomi, um, nothing extraordinary about their lives, but they were part of God's redemptive plan. And here's Ruth, a stranger, a foreigner, just, just from another land, not even part of God's covenant, who embraces the God of Israel. And what happens to Ruth's lineage? We see here, it was through her line that David was born and ultimately through David's line that Jesus was born. Remember Elimelech's name, my God is King. You know, through Ruth's son, uh, Obed, and then continuing down to David, there was a king in the family, but it kept going down until that king was God. And Elimelech's line, my God is King, became a fulfillment of a prophecy that one day the king of all kings, the God who created everything, would come down and redeem us. How powerful. Um, okay, I'm going to show you a really cool picture. You ready? This is a Jewish couple on their wedding day, after their wedding ceremony. There is dancing and they are being lifted up on chairs. Strangely enough, this is a Jewish custom for a Jewish wedding. Now, why am I showing you this? Not just because it's interesting uh, or perhaps scary or fun if you're the one on the chair, but because there's a real significance here. Let me show you another picture. I want to uh, preempt this with these words, a hanky chief transaction. Okay, and so here we see another couple and they are both holding on to a handkerchief um, while they're being hoisted in the air on their chairs. What a strange tradition, right? But um, this is totally at all amazing as we unpack it. So I've just grabbed my phone because I wanna to read to you uh, about this. So this couple, when they get engaged, it's all quite solemn. Um, they go before a rabbi and there's different proceedings, uh, different documents that get signed, commitments that are made. And when these commitments are made, it's like a contract. Um, so what they want to do is uh, exchange something to say, this is my word. What I have said in this contract is what I'm committing to. So the tradition is that they give something that is theirs and they give it to the person they're making the commitment to, the bride or the groom, obviously going to give this to each other. And what they've been using often is a handkerchief. They will exchange a handkerchief and say, this is my word. I commit to you. And until the day we get married, I'm going to keep myself for you. I'm going to be yours. I'm committed to you because you have my word. And they sign an agreement. This handkerchief becomes the symbol of their commitment to each other. And so on the wedding day, they're holding this hanky again saying, look, we were good to our word. Our commitment stands and now our promise to each other has been fulfilled. We are married. What I love, and I'm going to read this to you as we, um, 
come to a close here. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Talking about in Jesus when it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is like that handkerchief, only of course a lot more powerful. But what I'm trying to say is he was given to us as a tangible sign of God's commitment to us, that God will keep his word. He will completely redeem us. He will come again and receive us. And there will be a heavenly wedding. Another wedding is on the way. This one is talked about all throughout the Bible, either through analogies or through actual prophecy. But God wants to come back for you. He is like giving you that hanky chief commitment, giving you the seal, the guarantee of his Holy Spirit and said, you are mine. I have redeemed you. I commit to you and I will come again and be good to my word. We can take God at his word. I love that. We're going to have a look at our redemption in Christ. Just as Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, we have been redeemed by Jesus if we will just accept what he has done for us. Look at this in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Speaking of heavenly places, Ephesians also tells us that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Just like that bride and groom was seated up high, Jesus wants to lift us up to be where he is to seat us with him in heavenly places. Hey, I've underlined the word blessed us. You know, Boaz showered blessing on Ruth. Even that day, um, that, that night that she came and laid at his feet, it says early in the morning he loaded her with six ephah of barley. Um, he was blessing her all the time. And this is what is in our redemption in Christ as well. Okay, so keep going here. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, he's chosen us. And that's what I've highlighted there. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Just as Ruth was adopted into the Jewish culture, Jesus wants to adopt us into the family of God. It's an invitation today to be part of an extraordinary relationship with the King of Kings. My God is King and he's also coming for me. How awesome. All right. And uh, verse six to seven, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You know, Ruth was accepted in, to the point that she became grafted in and part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, completely accepted in the beloved. And verse seven, in him we have redemption. There it is. We have redemption. How? Through his blood through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross for us, 
He redeemed us and all who would come and believe on him to the Father. He gave us forgiveness of sins. The past is gone. There is a new and exciting future ahead according to the riches of his grace. Amen. My God is King. You can say that today too. You can be confident in your relationship with God. Unlike Elimelech, he forgot who he was. He forgot the God that he had. And he died in a foreign land, away from the covenant of God. Today, I believe God is urging us to wake up afresh to the covenant that he has uh, for us to enter into. We can boldly say, my God is king. He's my king. <laughs> He's amazing. And I choose to put my trust in him. I want to just take a moment today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, there's some beautiful words here in Romans that we're going to have a look at. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, how are they beautiful words? Because they arrest our attention and they tell us that we need redeeming, just like Ruth and Naomi. They couldn't make it on their own. They needed someone to provide for them, to take them under their wing, to help them, to restore them. God wants to restore you. He wants to redeem you. But first, you need to realize you need a redeemer. And we've all sinned. We've fallen short of God's standard. But look what the next verse is, and I like this, sorry, um, now Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, our sin produces death, but there is an answer for sin. It is the work that Jesus did on our behalf. It is the free gift of God. It can overcome your sin. You can be redeemed. That means brought back into a relationship with God. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you would like to respond to this message, um, then I want to pray with you. You know, you can just click on uh, raise hand in the chat there, and we can uh, pray with you this morning and help you to come into a relationship with God. Uh, why don't we just bow our heads? I'm going to say a simple prayer, and you can say it after me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to be my Redeemer. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me by your blood. I choose to live for you. Make me your child. From this day on, I am yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's uh, the message for you today. I pray that you have been encouraged, whether you are feeling like a Mara, embittered by life, or whether you're feeling on top of the world. May you have an amazing Mother's Day if you're a mum. May you be blessed in every way, uh, even if you're not a mum. And hey, don't forget to spoil mum today. But let's remember the legacy of these two women. Um, Restoration, redemption can also be our legacy. Hey, bless you. Have a great week.